0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament letter of Philippians. We're in chapter 2, and before we dive in, let's uh, let's pause and ask for God's help. Father, what a high and holy privilege we have to take Your Word in our hands and open, up, open it up together and, and hear Your voice. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to be at work in each one of us. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Transform our hearts and our minds so our lives Look a little bit more like Jesus. So that we would grow today in our walk with you as we. As we seek to follow you, our Lord Jesus. We ask it in the mighty name, Jesus. Amen. We're in Philippians 2 verse 19 to 24. Paul, where we're at, Paul has been exhorting the Philippians to gospel-shaped unity. He's held up for us the pattern of our Lord Jesus who humbled himself to sacrificially serve others He again exhorted them to work out God's salvation in their own lives in ways that take, that their lives begin to take the shape of gospel unity. He pointed to his own joy in being poured out in service to others. Now in chapter two, verse 19, he seems to switch gears and give them information about two individuals, Timothy Epaphroditus, And information about his own plans for the future, his, his hopes, hope to send Timothy soon, uh, his own hope to visit them personally, an explanation of why he's not, why he's sending Epaphroditus right away back to them. Epaphroditus is from Philippi. We, we might be tempted to read through this and just breeze past it as a dated and irrelevant piece of antiquity like he's, he's talking about something that happened a long time ago and some people that we don't know and what does it even matter, but when we look beneath the surface we see he is actually continuing to encourage us toward joyfully serving others in a way that knits us together in gospel unity. He's exhorted us. He's spoken the truth. So we need to hear the truth. Sometimes we need to see the truth with legs under it, walking in real life to see what what does this look like. If we extend our outline of the passage, uh, we see uh, how this fits together. In, in chapter one, verse twenty-seven through chapter two, uh, verse four, he gives us an exhortation to gospel unity. In chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, the motivation of Jesus' humility that brings glory to God. Uh, Verses 12 to 16, another exhortation, work out your own gospel unity. Verses 17 and 18, the motivation of Paul's joy in sacrificial service for others. Verses 19 to 24, what we're going to look at today, the motivation of Timothy's selfless concern for others. And then in verses 25 to 29, the motivation of Epaphroditus' risk in sacrificial service to others. It's all of a piece. He's... he's. Teaching us, training us, moving us in a direction by, by not only teaching us truth, but showing us examples of what this looks like in real people's lives. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all held up as illustrations of Christ-like, joyful, sacrificial service to others. Philippians 2, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father... He has served with me in the Gospel. I hope therefore to send Him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul frames this section. Remember, Paul is writing from prison, likely in Rome. Timothy, Epaphroditus, both with him there in Rome. Paul frames this section with his confidence in the Lord Jesus. Verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, he says, I am confident in the Lord. Paul's hope, Paul's confidence, it's all in Jesus. He is living his life in dependence on, trusting in the Lord Jesus. He is living by faith in the Son of God. His whole life, all his plans, his every hope... All of it is placed under and subject to the sovereign lordship of Jesus. This Jesus who emptied himself, who humbled himself, this Jesus who is now highly exalted by his father as Lord over all, to whom every being in the universe ultimately is subject. Paul has plans. Paul has purposes. Paul has desires and hopes. But all of that gladly is submitted to the sovereign purposes of his Lord Jesus. Back in chapter 1, he outlined his confidence in Jesus and his own conflicted desires. Philippians 1.19 I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this... Circumstances will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh... So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Paul makes plans. But he's willing to allow Jesus to change, to disrupt those plans for His greater glory. Remember Acts 16. This is before leading up to arrival in Macedonia where the city of Philippi is in that region. Acts 16, verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they, we had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. But Jesus, we want to preach the gospel to these people. Jesus is disrupting their plans, directing them in a different direction verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night of man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the Gospel to them. This is the sovereign interference that brought Paul, Timothy, Luke, Silas, the missionary team across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, into Philippi. Paul's weighing his options. He's making his plan. He's moving in a direction, all with an open hand allowing Jesus to direct or redirect His steps. Remember, Paul is a prisoner, likely writing from Rome. Ultimately, he is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, bound to serve him above all. Paul's purpose for sending Timothy is to find joy in the things concerning them. He says in verse two, uh, chapter two, verse 19, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He is interested in them. He cares about them. Specifically, he is eager to see their progress in the gospel. Their growth in gospel unity. In gospel humility. As he said in chapter 1 verse 27... uh, He is eager to hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Their gospel unity will bring peace to Paul's soul. It is Paul's joy to be poured out on the sacrifice of their faith. He invites them to rejoice with him. There is throughout this passage, throughout this letter, an undercurrent of joy. Joy in sacrificial service to others. It it matters how you serve, not just that you serve. With what attitude you serve Jesus. Not with grumbling and disputing. This is others centered joy. Paul is concerned about them. He's praying for them. He's interested to hear about them. And that, he says, will bring him peace of soul. He's going to send Timothy. Why Timothy? He says, for I have no one like him. The word Paul uses to describe Timothy here is literally of equal soul, or equal souled. It's a compound Greek word. Uh, the root of the word is soul. The soul refers to the, the inner life of a person, the inner person. We might say that person's driving passion, the, their heart and mind. Back in chapter 1, verse 27, he called them to be of one mind, literally of one soul. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. They were to have a unified driving passion. A passion to advance the good news of Jesus. In chapter 2 verse 2 he exhorts them to think the same. To have the same love. To be fellow-souled. A compound word again with the root of soul. To think the one thing they're they're to have a common soul a common driving passion as a church family in chapter 2 verse 19 Paul intends to send Timothy to them in order that he might be it says cheered the the word literally another compound with soul of good soul He wants to be of good soul when he hears news from them, about them. If he hears that they are striving for the gospel with one soul, having a common soul or passion for the one main thing, then it will be well with his soul. Here in chapter 2, verse 20, he says of Timothy that there is no one of equal soul with the same driving passion that drives Timothy. There is no one else of equal soul, of equal passion with Timothy. So what is it about Timothy that makes him so unique? No one like him. What is his driving passion? Well, he tells us. We don't have to guess. It's in the text. Verse 20, For I have no one like him of equal soul, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy has a genuine care and concern for the things of the Philippian church. He cares about them, what's going on with them, what, what they are up to, what is up with them. This is Paul's heart. Knowing the things of this church would bring peace to his own soul. The word here used to describe Timothy's concern for his genuine care and concern for this church. It's actually a word that's most often translated anxiety or worry. Jesus actually warns clearly against anxiety about our own stuff. Uh, Don't worry, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, the color of your hair, or how many of them are left. Uh, Even if we live or if we die, don't worry. Who of you by being anxious can add an inch to your height or a day to your life? Jesus actually compares anxiety to a life Choking thorns that prevent fruitfulness. In Matthew 13, Paul commands the Philippians in chapter 4 verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. But here he says, well, Timothy, he is, he's my guy because he's anxious. What's going on here? What's the difference? Jesus says, don't be anxious. Paul says, he's anxious and that's a good thing. This anxiety word can be used in a positive way of a deep care and concern for the things of another. That's the difference. What are you anxious about? Are are you worried about yourself? Looking out for number one? Are you deeply concerned and caring about others? Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 teaches about the gifts of the Spirit that are to be used not for selfish advantage, but to build others up. He says in verse 25 that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for, anxiety, worry for, concern for, deep care and concern for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are to have that deep care. We are not to be worried about, oh, am I going to have what I need for me? We're to be concerned about one another. Paul lists the afflictions he endured as an apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he, as, after he does the laundry list of the stuff he's endured, he says, apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my my anxiety for all the churches, this deep care and concern. I, I want to see it going well for you and any of you that have parent that are that are parents that have children. You get it. It's like, man, I just want to see my my children doing well. It doesn't matter so much what they're doing as how they're doing it how they're doing. I want them to be doing well. Ultimately, I want them to be finding joy in following Jesus. Paul looks at Timothy's genuine anxiety, not for himself, but for the the health of this church as a deep and healthy care and concern for others, born out of love for the other. Timothy's motivating passion was to see this church thrive. And Paul says, there's no one like him. No one else with that same passion, specifically for this church in Philippi, that he's visited, that he knows. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of jesus christ timothy timothy's care is for literally your stuff the things that have to do with you this is the same phrase paul uses when he wanted to hear of the things that have to do with you in chapter 1 verse 27 chapter 2 verse 19 when he expected to be cheered by knowing the things that have to do with you it's it's kind of a general broad i just want to hear what's up Tell me about your stuff. What's going on? Where you at? I want to hear the things that have to do with you. That which concerns you. Your interests. The, the norm for sinful fallen humanity is to seek the things that have to do with me. oneself. It's that inward turning. Even of followers of Jesus. We tend to turn inward, ingrown, and say, I, "I'm, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't have time for your stuff because I got my own stuff that I need to focus on." And we turn inward. This is why Paul exhorts us in chapter two, verse three: "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself." Let each of you look not to his own interests, his own stuff, but also to the interests, the stuff, the things of others, that of the other. This is why in chapter 2, verse 7, he holds up Jesus who emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, to the point of death, even death on a cross. We naturally seek our own stuff, our own interests, the things that have to do with me. We need the Spirit of God to turn that ingrown focus outward to give us genuine care, genuine concern for the things of others, ultimately for the things of Jesus Christ. And this keeps us on track. care and concern for the things of others is not just submitting to the desires and whims of others, not giving up our own things in order to help someone else in their self-seeking concern for their own stuff. It's not that. those who seek their own things are contrasted with those who seek the things of Jesus Christ. Jesus driving passion is for the glory of His Father. The Father's passion is to seek the glory of His Son. What are the things of Jesus? The stuff of Jesus. We're not to be concerned about our own stuff, but the stuff of Jesus. Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ loved the church Ephesians 5:25 and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish Christ is passionately pursuing the welfare of his bride, the church. He is pursuing the purity of his church, the beauty, the splendor of his church. Timothy is aligning himself with Jesus in pursuing the glorious gospel-shaped beauty of the church. Paul is writing to pursue the glorious gospel-shaped unity and beauty of the church. Timothy was genuinely seeking to advance Not his own interests, but the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy. Acts chapter 14, we meet... Well, Paul meets Timothy. That's Paul's first recorded visit to Lystra, near in the region of Galatia, where he was stoned and left for dead by the Jewish people who got offended by... You had the the pagans who were worshiping. They tried to worship Paul. And then he's like, don't worship me. There's one true God. And then they stone him to death. Drag him outside the city. He gets back up. Goes back into the city. Keeps preaching Jesus. Makes disciples. Goes to the next town. Comes back to that town. It's like, hi guys. Still alive. (laughs) Likely among the disciples... That were taught and preached, proclaimed Jesus that believed a young man named Timothy. Acts chapter 16, Paul comes back to Lystra and invites the highly recommended Timothy to accompany him on the rest of his journeys says he was highly recommended. He was highly esteemed by, by the leaders in that community. During those coming journeys, Timothy accompanies Paul for the majority of it, is trusted on multiple occasions to do errands for the apostle, to deliver letters, to go to churches where Paul couldn't be physically present. He says, I'm going to send Timothy... Because i got no one like him. And it's almost as good as me. It's probably maybe better than me being there. Timothy is the one that needs to be there. Timothy is mentioned in seven of Paul's letters to the churches. Likely delivering many of those letters as a delegate of the apostle. Timothy would have visited Philippi in Macedonia several times over these years. Including that first visit through uh when when Paul picked him up in Galatia, moved through Asia Minor and into Macedonia. Remember, the Spirit of Jesus said not, not here, there, Philippi. Paul later wrote two personal letters directly to Timothy uh, to encourage him as he was serving the church in Ephesus later in life. He said in his last letter, his final letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, Timothy, have followed. You were closely familiar with. You were there. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. There's that driving passion. My faith. My patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He followed not only my teaching. That's important. That's critical. But also my lifestyle, my heart, my passion, my integrity, my character, who I am. Paul is mentoring this young man. He's taking him alongside. He's taking him with. Sending him out. Showing him Jesus. Walking with him. Entrusting him with responsibility. Responsibility. And Timothy is following Paul as Paul is following his Lord Jesus. He says to the church in Philippi, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. The Philippian church was well acquainted with Timothy's proven character. Tested and proven character. They'd been recipients of his mercy, of his ministry. They had, over the years, opportunity to observe him. From from that first time, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke came to Philippi. Over the next ten plus years, this is probably eleven to thirteen years after that initial visit, that this Philippian letter is written from prison. Paul refers to Timothy. In his letters as Romans 16, my fellow worker, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel, my true child in the faith. Here in Philippians, he likens Timothy's relationship to him as a child to his father. And he says he served, literally he slaved. We might expect Paul to say as a child to his father, Timothy served me. But he doesn't say that. Little words are important. Paul actually flips it and unexpectedly throws in a with to make it clear it's not about Paul. He says he served with me alongside me he wasn't serving was he serving paul was he was he going on on things commissioned by paul taking letters to churches because paul asked him to was he serving paul yes who is he ultimately serving he was serving alongside paul both of them serving our lord jesus And Paul doesn't say, he is my subordinate. Lesser, Paul in humility says, he is my fellow worker. He is our brother. He is ultimately God's co-worker in the gospel. Together, Paul and Timothy served the gospel. Together, they did whatever they did in order to advance The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Ultimately, all Christian service is serving in the gospel. No doubt this includes evangelism. That's what the word, uh, the word is to evangelize, is to proclaim the gospel. That includes evangelism to preaching the gospel to those who don't yet believe, unbelievers, but it also includes encouraging believers to grow in congruence with the Gospel, to live in step with the Gospel we already believe. Paul is, he says he's eager to preach the Gospel to those in Rome. He's writing to a church, hopefully of mostly believers in Jesus he says I'm eager to preach the gospel to you why would you preach to a church like don't they already know them believe the gospel you should go to people that don't No, because we the church believers in Jesus so often our lives are out of step with the gospel we need to be brought in line with the gospel so we need the gospel to be preached to ourselves I need to preach the gospel to me every morning to say here's the gospel Here's my life. Let's bring it in line. Is is this matching up? I say I believe this, but I'm, I'm over here doing that. I need the Gospel to recenter my direction. Hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul here reiterates the hope he began with. On the one hand, he hopes to send Timothy soon. As soon as I look into the, 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 to my stuff, the things that have to do with me. Paul is sending Epaphroditus with this letter back to the Philippians. But he's in need of Timothy's service Timothy's companionship for a time. On the one hand, I hope to send Timothy to you soon, as soon as I look into my stuff. On the other hand, I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come quickly. Paul has used this word confident. I am confident in the Lord. Persuaded back in chapter 1, verse 25, where he stated his confidence that he would remain for your progress and joy in the faith. To depart and be with Christ is far better, but, but it's more needful for you. So being persuaded, being confident of this, I know, I'm sure that I will remain for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 1, verse 6, He used this word, I am confident, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is a rock-solid confidence because it's not based on my opinion, it's based on what God said that He would do. And when God says He's going to do something, it happens. Look back at creation. God said, let there be and there was. God said, I'm, I'm beginning a good work in you. It's going to happen. It's not going to get derailed. He is going to bring it to completion. Paul is sure of this. Paul is sure of that he's going to be, he's sure in the Lord. That he's going to come to them. Paul hopes in the Lord to send Timothy quickly. Paul is confident in the Lord that he himself will quickly come. Paul here is using hope and confidence or being sure of in parallel because biblical hope is different than the way we use the word hope. I really hope I can go on vacation someday. I really hope my bank account just, you know, the the things I've invested in just go, I really hope. It's like wishing against the odds that it's probably not going to happen, but you know, it'd be really cool if it did. That's not how hope is used in God's Word. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is a settled confidence based on the character of God and the Word of God. We're looking at what God says and knowing God is faithful to what He says. He will bring about what He said. I believe it. I have confident hope that He's going to do what He said He would do. That's what faith is. It's trusting that God will do what He said He would do. Timothy held up to us to say, teaching about gospel unity, about humbling yourself to seek the good of others, to, to care about the things of others, to invest in others, even if that means sacrificing, <clears throat> to bring that about. Paul holds up Jesus as the ultimate picture of humility. Paul says, I, I'm being poured out on the offering as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith. Paul says, here's, here's Timothy. Look at Timothy. You know Timothy. You know him. You've, you've hung out with him. He's hung out with you. He's been to visit you with me and without me. You know his proven character, his tested and proven character. Follow his example. I've got no one like him, but maybe this is a way to stimulate more people To be like Timothy, because Timothy is ultimately following Paul, who is ultimately following Jesus. So basically, let's follow Jesus together. Let's be like Paul, let's be like Timothy, let's be like Jesus, whom they're both following. Are we those who look not to our own stuff only, but our primary passion? is the interest of Jesus. Jesus, what do you care about? What's first on your heart? In our church, in my life, here, now, where I'm at. What do you want? I want that to be my primary passion. The interest of Jesus, the interest of advancing the gospel in unity side by side. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for giving us the Gospel. You are the good news. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That You, God from all eternity, came down to be among us and as one of us bore in Your body my sin the wrath that I deserve so that I could enjoy relationship reconciled, restored, healed with you. So often our lives are not congruent with the gospel. We are out of step with the gospel. We Our lives don't look like Jesus. Forgive us. Lord, work in us by your Holy Spirit. That gospel shaped humility. Help our ingrown hearts. To be pruned. So that we move toward others. So that we genuinely care about the people around us. And their eternal welfare. As followers of you. Lord, work that driving passion in us. So if Paul were writing from... Our church today, he would not be able to say there was no one else like Timothy. Help us all to have that as our passion, to be gospel-shaped in our thinking. Gospel-shaped in our passions, in our heart, in our desire, that we would want more than anything else your glory. that more and more and more people would enter into a gospel relationship with you where their sins are forgiven, they're washed clean, so they can stand in your presence together as the saints and sing your praises because you are worthy. Work this in us, we ask, by your Spirit for your glory, and Jesus, prune away the cares, the anxieties of this world that grow up and seek to choke out our life and our fruitfulness. Lord, we want to abide in Jesus and bear much fruit that brings pleasure to Your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm invite some of our men to come and prepare to serve us communion. This is... Reminders of the gospel. This is bringing it all back to say, why are we here? What are we doing? What is church? Well, it's a community of blood-bought believers. Followers of Jesus. Because when we were going our own way, He chased us down and woke us up and turned us around. He poured out His own blood. He allowed His body to be crushed and broken. Because that was what I deserve. That's what you deserve. He willingly took the wrath of Almighty God. Toward my sin. Not his own. He didn't have any. He bore in his body my sins. So that today I could be in a right relationship with him. Washed clean. Forgiven. Made pure and holy. Called a saint. So that I can bring... Sacrifice, offerings, praise, worship to Him that's pleasing and acceptable to Him through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It's through the once for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's my only access to the Father. A lot of people are saying, oh yeah, there's many paths that lead to God. Wrong God. Sorry. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one Comes to the Father except through me, through my broken body and poured out blood at Calvary. That's the way to the Father. If you don't know your sins forgiven, today I'd invite you to simply acknowledge your sinner before a holy and righteous, wrathful God, recognize what you deserve and say, Yeah, I don't want what I deserve. But I see what Jesus did, and would you would his blood cover me? Would you forgive my sins based on the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Wash me completely clean. Give me a free gift I don't deserve. I'd like to receive that. And God says yes. That's why I sent my only son. Because I so loved you. I gave my son to be the wrath appeasing sacrifice. To cover your sins. To eradicate your sins so that you could enjoy relationship with God. Simply be real with Him and say, yeah, I'm messed up. And could you fix me? He can, because He's God. He can do all things. Well, I'm maybe too messed up. Nah. You don't know the power of God. Try Him out. trust Him. We'll serve you if you're a believer in Jesus. We'll serve bread and juice. Take hold on to that. Reflect on what Jesus did for you. The price that was paid for you. Once we've all been served as a body of believers. We'll take that together. Jesus, thank you. For taking my place. Paying my price. For giving me a gift I Could never earn and don't deserve. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve. Thank you Father for pouring that out on your only son at the cross so that I could today enjoy a relationship with you. Free, forgiven, set free to worship you to be who I was created to be. Thank you for your body broken. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood poured out that washes us clean and makes us new. Thank you in Jesus' magnificent, mighty, holy name. Amen. His body broken for you. Take me. His blood poured out for you. Drink it.